Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. It is great to be here. I'm glad you are all here. If I have not gotten the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here and we are excited about this series. Uh, you know, growing up, I had some rules that I had to live by. And one of those rules was there was no cussing, all right? And the threat was if I cussed, if I swore, if I said a bad word, I would get my mouth washed out with soap. Anybody else have that threat in their house? I don't even know where it came from. I'm pretty sure my parents just heard it from their parents, and they heard it from their parents, and they heard it from Noah and whoever else was on the ark, and, you know, and... You know, nowadays, if you washed out a kid's mouth, you'd probably get arrested. But, so I remember that was the rule and that was the threat. And I remember there was one time that I just happened to say one of those words. And literally, out of nowhere, I don't even know how moms do this, but my mom was like right there when that word just happened to come out of my mouth. And then I got the look. The mom look. I mean, I don't even know if you have to be a mom to be able to give that look, but I got that look. And then I got the full name, Timothy, Joseph, Sullivan, like all of it. And I knew that I was in big trouble. And my mom has all of the power to carry out that threat. And so she took me into that bathroom, grabbed a bar of soap, and literally shoved it in my mouth. It was gross. Let me just say, it was a long time before any more bad words came out of this mouth, right? And so I began to learn the lesson and continued to learn the lesson of what we call behavior modification, right? There were, there were certain consequences that I wanted to avoid. If you don't want soap in your mouth, don't say these words. And I began to learn that lesson. I wanted to, to change and modify my behavior. My mom was working on modifying my behavior, and I was now monitoring my behavior because I now believed that if I wanted good things to happen, I should change my behavior. If I wanted to avoid some of these unpleasant things like soap in my mouth, I was going to monitor and modify my behavior. And that was my lesson growing up. And I think you probably learned that lesson as a child too, right? where you decided eventually you, you wanted a date. So you started changing your behavior. Or maybe you wanted to not get kicked out of school, so you changed your behavior. Or you wanted a job interview, or you wanted a job, or you wanted that promotion, and you began to modify your behavior. And so we realized that that works for a little bit, but it doesn't really bring about change that lasts, does it? I mean, it turns out that behavior modification doesn't really lead to lasting change. If that were true, we would be very different. But I think we look at life and we think, okay, well, in order to change, I just need maybe a better filter. I just need a bigger swear jar with, with more money I've got to put into it. But those things don't really lead to change that lasts, do they? So the question is, how do we change? How do we really change? And what does that take on our part? What is our responsibility in that change? So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put the screen on behind me and put the text there. Luke chapter 12. 
Here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples in verse 32. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is talking about our treasure, and he's telling these disciples, he's comparing them to a little flock of sheep that is vulnerable, defenseless, probably really scared. They're, they're working maybe through some fears and worries. And he says, don't be afraid. I know you're nervous. I know you're afraid. I know you're, you're dealing with some, some things, some anxieties rolling through your mind right now. Don't be afraid. And by the way, go ahead and sell everything. I don't know if that's the advice I want when I'm worried and afraid. When I'm already starting to feel vulnerable, when I'm already starting to feel overwhelmed, I don't want to go home and find out that everything is now gone. Why does Jesus tell the disciples to sell everything and give it away to the poor? I think he tells them to do that because he wants their attention off of their earthly treasures and on to heavenly treasures. That you and I treasure things of this world. And he makes the connection from our treasure to our heart. And so let me ask you, why is it that you get angry and yell? It's because of our heart. Why do you gossip or listen to gossip? It's because of what's going on in your heart. Why do you look at the things you look at on TV or on social media? It's because of your heart. See, Jesus says in Matthew 15, 18, the thing that Jesus says, okay, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these are the things that defile them. Everything is overflowing out of our heart. The heart is the, the inner person. It's the core of who you are. It, it's incorporating our thinking, our affections, our choices. At the core of who you are is this thing called the heart. And it's so much more than the blood pumper. It's the inner person. Out of the inner person comes the things that I say, the things that I think, the things that I do, all of those things come out of my heart. The way you spend your money, the way I spend my money, the way I, I fill my calendar, all of that overflows out of my heart. As John Calvin so famously said, the human heart is an idol factory, churning out new idols like the conveyor belt and the manufacturing plant, rolling out new widgets. That inside of my heart, inside of my inner person, is this natural ability to worship. You and I were hardwired to worship. And God put that inside of us, inside of our DNA to worship, so that we would worship Him. But with that sinful bent inside of us, we have this amazing ability 
to make idols inside of our own hearts, to pursue things that are idols, pursue things that are, that are treasures. And Jesus says, for where the treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so notice what drives the heart. The treasure drives the heart, and out of the overflow of my heart comes all of my actions, the things, things that I say, the things that I do. And if you reverse engineer it, right, we all want to start here with, hey, what's going on with me? Why do I say those words? Why do I think those thoughts? Why do I have those actions? Why, why can't I change? Jesus would say it all comes out of your heart. And then work a little bit further back, and he says, whatever it is that you're treasuring, that's what will drive your heart. So let me ask you, what are you treasuring? What are you treasuring today? What are you treasuring right now? What is the thing that is so important to you? You know, when I was in high school, I lived for the sport of wrestling. I absolutely loved it. And when I say I lived for it, I mean I was obsessed with it. It was my entire life. As a high school student, I wanted to be the best athlete possible. I wanted to win. And at whatever it would take, whatever it would cost me, I was willing to pay that price. And so even in the off season, even in the summertime, I could do whatever I wanted. I could work a job. I could just hang around the house, whatever I wanted to do. And I chose to wake up early, start going to the gym, working out, and then I would go to another high school across town. A bunch of wrestlers from all over the county would, would come here, and we would work out in the off season. And later that day, I would go run three to five miles, and I hate running. I don't want to run anywhere. Why? Because I loved wrestling. I lived and breathed the sport. And it became something that, that took over my life. It dominated my thinking, controlled everything that I did. And then during the season, it, it dictated what I ate, how I ate. And, and I began to pour my whole life into this sport because I believe that if I won more, people would like me, people would appreciate me. If I won more, I thought, then I could go wrestle in college. And I hated losing. And for me... It was a treasure. It was an idol. And I know it was an idol because when I lost, I would freak out. I would lose my temper. I would throw things. I would get really upset because wrestling, a sport, or what it provided, or what I thought it provided, had become a treasure. So what do you treasure? Jesus says whatever it is that we treasure will begin to drive our hearts. And then what comes out of the heart controls, it dominates, it influences everything that we say, everything that we do. And what we want to look at is go, well, Tim, why are you so angry? Why are you yelling? Why are you throwing things? We'll just back up a little bit and go, well, that was already in your heart. Why was that in your heart? Because your treasure was driving your heart. And Jesus says, whatever is in my heart is overflowing inside of me. And you know, every treasure has really an assigned value. Like the phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure. It's, it's always amazed me by the things that I will put out by the side of the curb 
that somebody else will come and pick up. I mean, we've put out like broken coffee makers, broken furniture, dead Christmas trees, brown Christmas trees, like all sorts of like broken junk that is garbage. But somebody else will come by and grab it. And maybe that's you. Or maybe, maybe you're married to that person. I don't know. But we all know people like that. Because we assign value to the treasure. We go, that, that thing, that concept is really, really important. And you know, I wish, I wish I, I treasured, I wish I could say that I love and treasure my wife. I wish I could say I love and treasure my family. I wish I could say I love and treasure the church and reaching lost people, and I do. But if I'm really, really honest, I treasure accomplishment. I treasure control. I treasure pleasure. I treasure comfort. And those things are always in conflict with my other treasures. I do treasure God. I do treasure my wife. I do treasure the church. I do treasure reaching lost people. But those treasures are always in conflict. They're always competing. So what is it that you treasure? Because Jesus says wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And I could say that probably everything that you do, everything you say is all about our treasure. The relationships that you have, the relationships that I have, those relationships are propelled by our treasure. Those relationships are victimized by our treasure. Those relationships are encouraged or enhanced by our treasure. Everything that Jesus is getting at is about our treasure. And so if you treasure a house filled with peace and quiet, and then you have little kids that come in that house, that treasure is going to be disrupted. If you treasure peace and quiet or a little bit of downtime to decompress after work, and all of a sudden you have little kids that want to interrupt and ask questions and yeah buts and problems and broken toys, and all of a sudden <gasps> you're interrupted, and now you're bothered. Or if you treasure a home that is clean and neat and tidy, and kids come in there, or grandkids come in there. Now all of a sudden, it's not clean, and it's not tidy. All that's turned upside down. And now you're bothered by your house because it's in chaos. And so what is it that you treasure? And I think sometimes we, we treasure things, we want things that aren't necessarily bad or wrong or sinful, but we've elevated them above God, and they have become an idol. So how do, we, how do we undo that? How do we fix that treasure problem? Well, last week we talked about all these different benefits of God's word. Writing out God's word, like I talked about last week, is one of the ways that you can begin to store it in your heart. Writing out God's word will help me meditate on what he says is important. And so if I want to begin to see things the way that God sees them, I should spend more time in God's word. But let me ask you this question. If you could only change one thing, what would it be? This year, blank check, if you could change one thing about you or one thing about your life, what would it be? Anything. 
Just think about that for a moment. Maybe that thing isn't necessarily bad. Maybe it's really good. Maybe it's a job that you want. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's, I don't want my kids to be addicted anymore. Maybe I want kids. Maybe I want grandkids. Whatever it is that I want, it might not be bad, but is it best? And does that thing that I want, does that give me a little bit of insight as to what I might be treasuring? Again, it's not wrong to want a job. It's not wrong to want kids. It's not wrong to want grandkids. It's not wrong to want good things for our friends and our family members. But do I want that so badly that when I don't get it, I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm worried? What if we treasured what God wanted most? What if, what if instead of that one thing, we began to treasure what God wanted most or what God treasures most? How would that change our lives? Well, I think one thing that would happen is if we began to what, what, treasure what God wanted most, our hearts would get closer to his. If we began to treasure what God wanted most, we would have a lot more clarity on what is really important to us and what we should be striving after. And Jesus, he paints a really clear picture of this in Matthew chapter 22. Flip over to Matthew chapter 22. Let me just give you a little bit of the context here. It's Passover week. It's Wednesday, and Jesus is going to be crucified on Friday. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, all of those people are getting really frustrated and irritated with Jesus because he's teaching things that are really contrary to everything that they've been teaching. And people are starting to follow Jesus and not them anymore. And there's kind of this popularity contest. And so the, the religious leaders, they're getting frustrated with Jesus, and they're getting annoyed with him, and, and people are starting to praise Jesus as the Messiah. They're proclaiming him as the Messiah. They're following him. They're doing everything that he says, and they are not liking it at all. And so the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all these other religious leaders who didn't really like each other are all teaming up now to trick and to trap Jesus. They're kind of playing this theological kung fu, and they're losing. And so now they pull in an expert from the law, and they go, okay, this guy knows the law inside and out. We're going to bring in our heavy hitter. So the expert comes to Jesus, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what's the greatest law? Now, here's a fun fact. There's 613 commandments. Jesus, pick one. <laughs> I mean, it's a trap. It's a setup from the beginning. 613 laws. All these rabbis would have differing opinions. All these teachers would have picked a different one, and they could argue why that one is the best. Jesus, there's 613. Which one do you think is the absolute greatest? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
Now, if you're an introvert and you heard that first one, just love God. And hey, I don't have to talk to people. I don't ever have to go outside. Let's just stop there. But Jesus says, no, love God and love your neighbor. Go and love others. He says two things, love God and love others. Everything hangs on those two things. So if we want to begin to treasure the things that God treasures, if we want to pursue the things that God says are really, really important, it's these two things. Number one, it's love God. And number two, it's love others. That's it. Everything in God's word hangs on these two ideas. First, love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with everything, with all of your being. Right? He, he gives all these different words, right? With all of your heart, go back to verse 37. He says, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Right? He's, he's using these different words, and they do overlap. And we could pull these words apart and go, here's what this means, and here's what this means. I think Jesus is just being really, really simple here. With your entire being, with all that you have, with your entire heart, love God. With your entire soul, love God. With your entire mind, with all that you have, love God. Make God your treasure. Treasure him. Treasure his word. Make him the priority. But then love others. How do we do that? One of the things we've, we've encouraged you to do from time to time is grab one of these pray, invest, invite cards. And I'll just give you a pro tip. If you grab one of these, use a Sharpie. Your pen or pencil will not do much damage to this card. It will not get that writing, that ink on here. But use a Sharpie. How do we love others? Pick one person that you know who is far from God, somebody at school, somebody that you work with, somebody in your neighborhood, a friend, a coworker, and write their name down. And then begin praying for them. And then begin investing in them, spending time with them. Have them over your house. Have them over for dinner. Get breakfast with them. Eat lunch with them. Take them out for a meal and get into their world and then start inviting them. Invite them into a conversation about spiritual things. Invite them into a conversation about what you believe. Ask them questions about what they believe. Invite them to church. Invite them here. Ask them to come. Hey, hey, we're going through this brand new series on this, this, and this. Or we're talking about these really cool things at church. I would love it if you would come. Love God and love others. And then put this card somewhere where you're going to see it all the time. On your dashboard, by your computer, on your mirror, your refrigerator, your desk, wherever it is that you're going to see it all the time. That you will be reminded of that one person that you're praying for. Jesus says, love God and love others. That's what we ought to treasure here. Do it with your whole heart. What would happen if we began to treasure what God treasured? What would happen if we began to love the things that God loves and, and love the people that God loves? And, and the obvious question is, how do we do that? 
if I'm going to be honest with you, I would say it starts by going to God and praying with him. And just be completely honest with God and say, God, I don't even know if I love you the way that I know that I should. He's not going to be surprised. He's not going to be shocked like, oh, what? He already knows what I love. He already knows when there are competing treasures with him. And so I just go to him and pray and say, God, help me to love the things that you love. Help me to love people the way that you love them. Help me to love the things that only you love. God, help me to see people the way that you see them because I don't. Sometimes they bother me and they annoy me. But what if God began to answer that prayer and he was the one that transformed my treasures and my desires? What would happen? The question might be, well, who's my neighbor? I mean, is that just like my friend? Is that like my physical neighbor? Is that like my buddy? And the reality is if we think it's our friend or our family member and we like those people, then it's easy. Check if we think it's our physical neighbor, like the person who lives closest to us and we happen to like them, that's easy. Check. But do you remember the story about the Good Samaritan? There was a guy that was beaten up, robbed. He had been taken advantage of and, and laid off into the street and, and left to die. And person after person after person walked by him. Some people walked on the other side of the street to get by this person. And out of nowhere comes a Samaritan. He, a Samaritan was people that the Jews did not like at all. And the Samaritan stops and helps this individual and loves this person. And Jesus tells this story in, to answer the question of who is my neighbor. Who's my neighbor? It's every single person I come in contact with. The person on the phone, the person at the grocery store, the person at Walmart, the person I work with my physical neighbor, the relatives, even the ones I don't want to talk to are all my neighbor. Love God and love others. And then Jesus tells an incredible story about what that looks like even more. Look at, look at Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, he starts and tells these parables. He tells three different parables about lost things. He starts off with a lost sheep goes into the lost coin, and then the lost person. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And he goes home, and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, if you're listening to this from, from a, a different perspective, outside of the Middle East, you might go, well, it's, you got 100 sheep, you lose one, eh, no big deal. Just cut your losses. Like, why are you going to leave those 99 to chase after one? Well, the reality is, back then, if you had 15 sheep, you were a pretty wealthy person. And so some people had one, two, 
three, four, maybe 15. And so everybody in that village would have all of their sheep, maybe a hundred sheep would all be in the, the pen. And they would hire or have a shepherd or a couple of shepherds to watch over those hundred sheep. And the goal of the shepherd is really one thing, protect the sheep. That's it. If everything else goes bad, protect the sheep. One goes off, you go and get it. And you bring that sheep back dead or alive, or if, if I only come back with like a leg, I had to rip that leg out of some wolf's mouth, I'm coming back with something. Because you might be the person who only owns two sheep, and now one of them is gone. What do you want that shepherd to do? Hey, that's my sheep. Go and get it. I don't care if there's 99 other ones. Go and get that one. That one matters. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus says, go and find it. Go and get that sheep. See, Jesus is the good shepherd, and he runs towards the sinner. He chases after the sinner. He pursues the sinner. He goes after the one. Because Jesus loves people. He treasures people. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the religious leaders were saying, look at what Jesus does. He spends time with sinners and tax collectors. He spends time with the worst of people. And Jesus says, you're right. If you had 100 sheep and you lost one, what should the shepherd do? And the obvious answer is, go and get the sheep. Jesus says, good, you got it. Lost things matter to God. Lost people matter to God. And then when that shepherd comes back with that lost sheep, there is a huge celebration. There's an incredible party. Why? Because lost things and lost people matter. This is what he says in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous who don't repent. That's why every week when someone puts their faith in Christ, we have a carnation. It's just a, a fake flower. It doesn't smell like anything. But each one of these flowers represents people. And because people matter to God, we celebrate that every time somebody asks Jesus to be their forgiver and leader of their life, we celebrate it. We represent it with a carnation to make a big deal about it. That's why we have that, that light bright out there with little white pegs and blue pegs. Every time someone asks Jesus to be their forgiver and leader of their life, we make a big deal about it. And I can tell you, the celebration that we have doesn't even compare to what is happening in heaven. It is a raucous party when someone repents and gives their life to Jesus. So what does it look like to love God and love others? I think it means we grab one of these cards on our way out. We write a name down. And we begin praying for that person. 
Because lost people matter. That's what God treasures. And we begin investing in them because that's what, that's what Jesus would do. He chased after you. He pursued you. No matter your past, no matter your background, no matter your status, he pursued you. He sent people to pursue you, to tell you the good news about Jesus dying on the cross. So Jesus loves lost people. He runs after them. There is a huge party when someone comes to know Christ. And so as we work through this series of, of reset, and what does it mean to reset? What does it mean to really pursue change? I think, first off, it means treasuring the things that God treasures. It means swapping out that old treasure and putting on a new treasure. But let me leave you with, with two questions. I think these two questions will help us frame this. Number one, what do I need to remove so I can love God and love others better? What's the one thing that you need to remove in your life so that you can begin loving God and loving others better? Number two, what do I need to do? What do I need to add so that I can love God and love others better? Those are the questions that, that we need to wrestle with. And we need to wrap our mind around those things because if the heart drives and influences and controls the person and the treasure begins to drive the heart, I need to begin to treasure things that God treasures. I need to remove some other treasures. I need to lower them down on that list. And I need to elevate God and the things that he treasures. I remember when I was in seventh grade, another seventh grader named Josh began to tell me about Jesus a seventh grader began to have conversations with me about Jesus, about faith, about eternal life, about the Bible, all of that. And I began to have these conversations. And I had no idea what this kid was talking about. And Josh kept talking to me. For the next three years, he continued to be my friend. He continued to pray for me. He continued to talk to me about Jesus. At the end of my ninth grade year, I asked Jesus to be my forgiver and my leader of my life because a seventh grader walked across the street and started praying for me, investing in me, and inviting me into spiritual conversations. Imagine what would happen if we began to do that. Imagine if we began to do that. What would happen in Broome County? What would happen if each of us walked across the street, across the yard, across the hallway, across wherever, and we began to treasure the things that God treasures? See, the most important change is moving from what do I want to what does God want. So before you leave, if you don't have one of these, grab one of these cards. Let me pray with you. God in heaven, we just recognize that we don't always treasure the things that you treasure. We, if we're honest, we don't love the things that you always love. And we don't see people the way that you see them. And I just ask that you would radically change our hearts. That you would help us to, to love you more. That you would help us to love the things that you love. You would help us to love people the way that you love them. 
that you would impress upon our hearts people who are far from you that we ought to run towards, that we ought to invest in, invite in the spiritual conversations and we don't always have the words to say, we don't have, always have all the, the right answers or the right questions, but God, it's clear those are the things that you treasure. And I ask that you would help us to begin to treasure only the things that you treasure. That would lead to real, authentic change. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.